Hi, and welcome back to Women Rule. I'm Anna Palmer. I'm a senior Washington correspondent for Politico and co-author of Politico's Playbook. And today I'm hosting this episode of our podcast with our guest, Melanie Whelan, the CEO of SoulCycle. For us and for SoulCycle, it is that safe space. And so because we have people from all different backgrounds, experiences, political views, we want to make sure that this is a safe space for everyone. My personal views or the the views of the team really isn't appropriate because it really this has always been a space about our riders. As you can tell from that clip of Whelan, the SoulCycle executive isn't interested in talking politics, even during a time when other CEOs are stepping into the political arena. We also talked about the possibility of SoulCycle evolving into more than just a spin class. Whelan previewed it, so listen for that. On the Women Rule podcast, we'll be bringing you backstage conversations with women leaders, the big bosses in politics and policy. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at APalmerDC. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. And now a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, When I interviewed you about a year ago about SoulCycle and politics, you described the studio as a sanctuary, a place where people put down their iPhones. Have you seen an impact from this election? Is it still that kind of safe space? I think um, SoulCycle today is, as if not more important to our riders as it was a year ago. We found uh, after the election, actually this year, that was one of our biggest weeks of the year as people were really looking for a safe space to disconnect, not just from technology, but from this endless news cycle. And I think what they're finding in the room is, you know, and we were talking a little bit about this before, it's just, it's fun. It's about you. It's about community. It's about disconnection. And I think whether it's because of the political environment or just because of the pace of life has picked up so much in the last couple of years. We do provide a safe space, a fun space, a community-oriented space that's really, again, just about you and your own growth that will, I think, remain relevant. How have you worked or have you worked to keep politics out of the studio in terms of you know, how, you know, instructors pick uh, what what music they're going to listen to or what the messages, there's often messages in, that are inspiring that could be potentially political. Is that something you focus on in training at all? Yeah, I think what we focus on in training is, you know, our talent, they're, they're artists and they create 12, 14 times a week on the podium. And so what we really want to do is inspire them to be their own creative selves and to find their voice, their music, um, and their experiences. So we we spend a lot of time on training how to lead a soul cycle class and what that framework is, but then we empower them to go and lead that in a way that is inspiring them, whether it's in that day or in that moment. Um, and we try to create a lot of points of connection between our instructors. So if they're having a tough day or if they're not really able to process uh, what's going on in the world around them, that we give them an outlet to talk about it, to talk with each other. Uh, we've got a big music sharing site that they all participate in. So they can, you know, after the election was another great time where the, everyone was chiming in with, try this song. I went home to this song. It really inspired the room or this was the soulful moment today. Um, so just making sure that we've got points of connection between our 300 instructors so they remain inspired to lead the class in a way that's authentic to them. 
So many companies and CEOs have gotten more political in this environment over the past year or so. Uh, you really haven't. For, was that a conscious decision? Is that something that you could see maybe going into pol politics more? Or is that kind of something that's not you're not interested in? I mean, I think it's for us and for SoulCycle, it is that safe space. And so because we have people from all different backgrounds, experiences, political views, we want to make sure that this is a safe space for everyone. My personal views or the, the views of the team really isn't appropriate because it really, this has always been a space about our riders and making sure they feel welcome and comfortable. Um, you know, one of our, our co-founders always told this great story about uh, these two riders in D.C. who didn't know each other and they were riding together in the studio for a year, developed a personal relationship, mostly in the lobby of the studio, having juice, having coffee. And what we realized at the end was that one um, was a Democratic lobbyist and one worked for the NRA. And they had created this really unique personal bond with each other over a shared experience that had nothing to do with politics. And I just think, again, in a world where we're so connected all the time, you can't get away from news alerts and, and everything that's coming at us. It's really important to me that this remains a safe space. You were recently appointed to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's uh, Council on Women and Girls. What's that like? What's your goal for that? Yeah, so this, we actually are just kicking off this week. So I don't know that much about it yet. And I'm really excited to learn more. Um, one of the things I'm very inspired by and motivated by here at SoulCycle is 86% of our field teams are female. Um, a lot of our you know, operational organization is led by female, you know, we call them entrepreneurs internally. And I think the more that we can do to empower girls early in their careers through education and opportunity, the, the better off, you know, certainly companies like SoulCycle will be, and I think companies overall. Um, so I'm really excited and honored um, to, to be involved. In terms of that, equal pay is something I think you've spoken out about. Is that something that is men and women are getting paid the same here at SoulCycle? You're kind of trying to lead by example? Yeah, I think it's something that, um, again, we've been very fortunate. We're female-founded, we're female-led, and we've really taken an approach to making sure that um, we're really rewarding role and career trajectory and performance um, over any kind of sort of gender um, thought. And I think because we're 86% female, um, and I think our, you know, on the instructor side, the, the demographic is a little bit different. It's it's really been completely agnostic to gender and really been around performance and and contribution. In terms of that, have you, because it is such a female-centric, I mean, I go to a lot of classes, right? It's the, most of the people that are riding are women. A lot of the instructors are women. Have you ever tried to target or kind of grow out the, the male portion of your ridership? Yeah, it's something we're actually talking a lot about right now. So the great thing about the business is that it really it appeals to a very wide demographic. So we have teen spin that sells out at 430 and we've got our rooster riders at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. As you know, can be 50% male-female, depending on the studio and the, and the time of day. There's really a range. Um, we have tried campaigns to target men. We have tried campaigns um, to target you know, college students. And I think we've had you know, some, some success. Um, but ultimately, because this appeals to so many kinds of people, where we've had the most success is just through word of mouth and creating evangelists of the riders that we have. And a lot of that is around instructor loyalty around type of music um, or local stu studios um, that people become members of the community and that's really been how we've how we focused our marketing what competitor we were talking about competitors before we started are, are you concerned about or is there room in the market for you know kind of the copycats that come along that are trying to kind of coast off your your guys' success yeah I think I, I talk a lot about I think the truest competitor that we have is people's time 
everyone is time starved. And to be able to take an Uber and get to the studio, have a 45 minute experience, inevitably you're going to want to talk to someone in the lobby afterward and then Uber home. You're talking about an hour and a half of someone's day that we're asking you to commit, not just your time, but your money to us. And so what we really try to do is make sure every experience is exceptional for our riders. We always put our riders first. We always empower our operators to find the yes in that moment for that rider because we recognize that it took a lot of commitment to get you into the lobby. Um, you know, there's competitors in the cycling space. There's competitors in the non-cycling space, the complementary workouts. Um, there's competitors in the digital space. And all of that is important when we pay attention to all of that. But ultimately, what we've tried to do is just make sure this is the best use of someone's time and they're getting the most out of it um, because we want to be their, their first choice. When you talk about riders, SoulCycle isn't cheap. Uh, do you ever worry about the financial accessibility to your product and whether you're going to have to change that as you start to grow into some of these non-coastal cities? Yeah, we've actually looked at that. So the business started in New York. Uh, we expanded to LA after six years. Um, and when we did that, we entered the market at a lower price point. And our view was the more people we could get in the door to try the product, the better. And price really wasn't what we've led with. Um, we have taken that approach in other markets that we've entered, whether it be San Francisco, Texas, Canada. Uh, we really evaluate the price based on the market. That said, we always joke that this is the price of two cocktails or really cheap therapy. And so it's uh, once you get in the door, uh, you see that there's real value, I think, in, in the experience. Totally. Uh, I like that. Two cocktails. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um, one of the things I was thinking about when I was kind of doing research on this is that there's so many female entrepreneurs in this space, in the kind of the fitness space in general, whether it's Tracy Anderson, Ann Malum, and others. This seems to be an actual area in business where women do really rule. Why do you think that is? Is there something that you, there's a common denominator there? It's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it that way because I think the fitness industry in particular um, on the fitness club side has largely been driven by men um, and male entrepreneurs. And I think that, you know, group fitness traditionally has been something that is more female led and female participated in. And I think that's lent itself to more females investing and growing in this space because I think we've got a keen understanding on what we're looking for in those social dynamics, in the community dynamic, in the energy that you're going to get in a boutique fitness space. Um, and I, I just think that the barrier to entry for entrepreneurs generally now um, can be somewhat lower in if you've got a good idea and you're passionate about it to go after it. And so I think that's just lend itself really well to, to a lot of different people coming into this space. You've been asked a lot about work-life balance uh, in the interviews over the past year or so. You said you kind of don't believe in it. What's your advice to, to other mothers out there when they feel like, you know, they're kind of doing their professional job half-assed and also their, their you know, home <laughs> job, not up to the level that they want to be doing it? Well, first of all, I think whether you are doing it half-assed or you're not doing it half-assed, just forgive yourself and give yourself the permission to know that you're doing it and there's something to celebrate in that. Um, you know, I talk a lot about the fact that I don't think there is work-life balance. Unfortunately, with the way technology is today, we never really turn off from anything. I ordered a sweatshirt for my son in the taxi on the way to school this morning. So there's benefits to that technology, uh, but also definite challenges. And, you know, what I try to do and what I, I talk a lot about with my girlfriends is to just be present to where you are on your, you know, I call it my pie, my life pie. My, I've got my work slice and my family slice, my own slice, my fitness, my friends. Um, and making sure that when you're in that slice, that you're really present to it. What I find is so many people are trying to be with their kids, answer a work email, order their Amazon Prime for the next week, 
do one thing at a time so that when you're with your kids, I'm only going to see my kids 30 minutes today, but I'm going to make those 30 minutes count because the other 23 and a half hours, I've got other stuff that I've got to do and I'm going to be as present to that as possible. I think the first thing that we forget, especially as working women, though, is that we are part of that pie as well. And so that's why I find Soul Cycle. It's my 45 minutes to be in my own head and my own self and give myself the break. And I think you got to make sure that in that pie, you prioritize yourself as well, which is really hard when there are demands every single minute. I crowdsource some of the questions for today <laughs> to my girlfriends uh, because a lot of them are writers. Well, I wanted to say, you know, well, what do you want to know? And one of the questions that came up in a couple of different iterations was how do you push through the hard days? You know, we all have them. How, what's your advice in terms of, you know, that moment where you're just really struggling to get through the end of the day? Yeah, I think <laughs> um, there are more days like that than I uh, would care to count at this point. Um, it sounds really trite, but I do work out. That's always been a huge disconnect for me. I used to be a big runner before I came to SoulCycle. Um, I'm a big fan of the walk around the block. My assistant knows that when, if I'm having a rough day and we can't break through a problem, she'll always say, get out and just take a walk and get some fresh air. Um, but I also think you got to surround yourself with people that you trust and your own personal board of advisors and know who you can call. And I've got good girlfriends for, you know, depending on how big the problem is. Um, and just give yourself the permission to say, I don't know the answer. I think so often we feel like we have to know the answer. I'm the CEO of a company. I should have all the answers. There's power in the vulnerability of asking for help, no matter how big or how small the problem. So you moved up pretty fast in the corporate world um, in terms of your kind of your own bio. Have you ever felt like you're kind of in the wrong place? I feel like a lot of women in their like, you know, 30s and 40s are you kind of con up this ladder, right? And all of a sudden you're thinking, you know, wow, I'm here, but I, am I an imposter? Am I even, my big things I say, I fake it till you make it, and then hopefully it all works out. Yes. What is, what is your advice to those women that are just kind of at that period of like, where am I in life? Um, that's a big question. I think the imposter syndrome thing is something that comes up a lot. And we all have those voices in our head. And all I can say to people is there's a reason that you are where you are, whether the universe put you there or someone powerful put you there or you put yourself there to just quiet those voices in your head and go after it. You can waste a lot of time second guessing or you can put a lot of that energy and investment in believing in yourself and going for it. And there is no doubt that whether it be from the moment I made the varsity basketball team in high school and thought I shouldn't be there to days that I'm here that I think I shouldn't be here, the more that you can just get those voices out of your head and have the confidence in yourself, the better off you're going to be because you know what? You're there for a reason. We'll be right back with more Women Rule. But first, a word from our presenting sponsor, Chevron. When more girls go into science, technology, engineering, and math, the whole world benefits. With support from families, schools, policymakers, and businesses, girls can do remarkable things with STEM. Chevron is proud to join Women Rule in empowering the next generation of female leaders. Mentorship is a big thing that we talk a lot about with the Women Rule program. Can you talk to me a little bit about who your mentors have been, what kind of lessons you've learned from them? Yeah, I've been, I think, really fortunate in that um, I've worked for some great people um, in lots of different positions. I've had great bosses who've been wonderful mentors. I've had colleagues who've been wonderful mentors. Um, I think that, you know, my, my latest uh, point of excitement is I have a millennial mentor who I'm working with. Tell me more. Because... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'm a Gen Xer, squarely Gen Xer in the way that I behave, um, in the way that I think, and then certainly how I was brought up. And so the millennial workforce is different than the world in, from which I come. However, they do comprise the large majority of our workforce here and also the large majority of our customer base. And so I, I, we brought in a woman to talk about uh, workplace dynamics with us who used to be known as the millennial coach, and now she talks about the multi-generational workforce. And one of the things that she advised was really trying to listen rather than judge. And so I find <laughs> it, it is. But I think one of the things that is interesting to me is really understanding the psychology, not just of our staff, but of our riders. And so the young woman that I'm working with, if I've got an idea or a project that we're working on, I'll kick it over to her and say, what do you think? And I get really interesting ideas back, whether they be completely, you know, infeasible and we could never scale it or that, wow, that's a genius nugget of something that's going to make this idea better. Um, it, I just think that the idea of mentorship, the idea of there's a guru on a hill that's been there and done that, and you should go up to the temple and say, what should I do, mentor, is anathema. I mean, to our culture, what, there's really good ideas coming from everywhere around us. And I just think that the more frequent the dialogue and the more you pay forward into those relationships as well, the more productivity you're going to get out of it. So one of my greatest mentors was my first boss out of college who took a shot on me. Um, and I have developed a great relationship with him over the past 16, long time, um, 16 years. And it's as much about having, you know, pizza and a glass of wine together on a Friday night when I don't need anything or he doesn't need anything as much as it is when I'm making a career decision and I want to call him and ask his advice. Um, so I just think you got to think creatively around mentorship because it's, there's a lot to learn from a lot of different places. What's the biggest thing you've learned from your millennial mentor? Let's see. Well, I heard last week she told me that millennial pink, which I don't know if you know, the color of the millennials is pink. There, and there is a millennial pink, um, is now shifting to yellow, which is very exciting. It's sort of like mercury coming out of retrograde, I feel like. The fact that yellow is cresting as the millennial color is very exciting to me and presents a lot of opportunity for the business. Yes, absolutely. I mean, speaking about that, you guys have been very conscious on brand, right? I think about the skull and crossbones, the yellow uh, kind of wheel, the candle. How much of that is do you want to make sure you stay on brand or are you trying to kind of evolve the brand, you know, as you guys continue on? Yeah, I think you know, we've taken a very thoughtful approach to the brand. Um, it's very uh, minimal and very impactful, I would say, with the way that we communicate. And there are pieces of the logo that have really become iconic. So whether that be the wheel or, like you said, the skull, soul as a brand. Um, so I think what you'll see from us is that the application of the brand will start to evolve, but the core brand architecture, I think, will will always stay true to, to our roots. So you guys have focused a lot on building out studios uh, since you've taken over as CEO, but I saw on your Twitter account that SoulCycle recently did a 5K race. Oh, yes. So do you think, like, do you see SoulCycle evolving beyond the studio in some ways? Is that something you guys are thinking about? Yeah, so we ran a, a 5K last week for our community. It was the first one. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had our top couple of finishers really necking it out at the end, trying to elbow each other out, which is very un-SoulCycle, I have to say, but it was really cool to see the competitive spirit of our team. Um, we are actually working pretty actively right now on some new concepts that will take the best of the soul DNA, our hospitality roots, our experiential roots, the fun, uh, the branding, and extend us out into a couple of new concepts um, that you can look for later this fall. Ooh, 
I like this, a TBD cliffhanger. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is like the, the world is evolving and adapting, you know, really quickly. And if the company doesn't start to innovate and adapt to the way that our riders want to engage with us, you know, we're going to miss a lot of opportunity to create the change and the impact that we want. Um, so there's no question that our riders come to us again for the workout and then we, they create strong bodies and they're trying other things. We can service that need. Um, they are connecting 24-7. I think we can service that need. So we've taken a really thoughtful approach because, again, our core is this brick-and-mortar experiential community-driven business, and that's always going to be the heart of who we are. But there's lots of other, I think, um, services and experiences that we can offer. Have you built up much? I mean, you talked about the sharing space of the music, right? The music is so, I think, key to the rides and your feeling that you get when you leave uh, Soul Cycle is that something that you guys are looking at building out at all in terms of kind of sharing and giving your customers different, you know, listens and things like that. Yeah, so we have um, partnered with Spotify. You know, we create a, a playlist and it's constantly updated with live feeds from our instructors and the music that they're sharing. Um, we've worked with uh, bands like the Chainsmokers and others to drop music in our studios because they're all looking for unique ways to reach their fans. And I think whether it was Wyclef had a ride in our Tribeca studio and put one of our instructors on his shoulders and they're dancing around in the lobby. Um, I think what, what we want to do is continue to create unique experiences for music to enter our riders' lives, um, which can be through the studios or through digital content, um, but something that we're, we're starting to get a little more focused on. Talk to me a little bit about, there's everybody from Ivanka Trump to Michelle Obama to Lady Gaga to Lena Dunham are big riders. Is the experience, do you guys treat VIPs like that differently than, you know, if I'm just kind of walking in off the side of the street? We really don't. Um, you know, if there's any special request, you know, Michelle Obama needs a certain entourage that comes with her. Um, of course, we'll accommodate that. But I think why, um, whether it's celebrities or other high-profile writers, are attracted to us is because they're able to have a community experience in somewhat of a private setting, meaning it's always been about your individual experience on that bike, in the dark, in the candlelight, to the rhythm of the music, but you're feeding off of the energy of the people around you. So someone like, you know, Beyonce's been in the press a lot that she's been riding with us, or, you know, Michelle Obama, they can disconnect, have that fun communal social experience. Um and not worry about people looking at them or watching them as they would on a public gym floor. Um, so we, like I said, we'll accommodate special requests, but it's really, they want to feel like one of the pack. And so we, we want to make sure that that is as authentic for them as possible. In terms of that, obviously for the Obamas, fitness was a huge thing that that White House was about uh, that hasn't necessarily carried through into this White House. Is that something that's missing or are you guys trying to take other steps to kind of grow the fitness overall platform for just kind of in the U.S.? Yeah, we, we've always said from the beginning, you know, our goal is to bring soul to the people. It's a mission of the, of the company. And the more people that we can get moving their bodies and having a good time, the more they're going to come back, the more change and impact we're going to be able to have. Um, so one of the programs that we're really passionate about is our Soul Scholarship Program, which basically takes children from underserved communities who are in the neighboring areas of our studios and uses um, the off-peak time in the studio to bring them in and give them that Soul Cycle experience. And we've created a suite of services around that mentorship programs, job readiness programs, nutritional counseling and eating programs for those underserved communities, which is, I think, a great way for us to take what we do best and take it outside of the four walls of the studio and give people more, I'm sorry, give more people more impact. So I want to end on this because I think, 
you know, you talk about that. That's almost, it sounds like basically public-private programming in some ways. We did an investigation for Women Rule about why women run for office or don't run for office. And the majority don't run for office. It's a much higher bar for any of us to run. A lot of what you're doing kind of would fit right into that, Republican or Democrat, not even ideologically. Why do you think or have you thought much about why maybe your riders or other women aren't kind of taking that step into public service? Or is that something you would want them to do more of? I mean, I think more women participating in any leadership position is a good thing for this country, and it's a great thing for this economy. I think the challenge for all of us um, right now is that we're working against some preconceived norms and some um, just some ways of thinking in the world that we are all responsible for working to change as actively as we can. Um, I'd like to think that we're doing a little bit of our part here by um, creating a culture where women can be successful and women can see that you can balance life, family, and a, a very promising career here. Um, and I talk a lot about the fact that I can have a lot more impact on how my son and my daughter view women in the workplace and their potential as leaders than I can necessarily on the generation ahead of me. Um, but I think the more that we, you know, continue to invest in ourselves and continue to invest in creating the change in the culture that we can, the, the better off, like I said, the entire, the world will be. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was of great course. to chat with yeah. you.